Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. I wonder if you realize that the Christian faith suffered a considerable blow when people began to say that what Jesus taught was not really essential to salvation. Now that may come as rather a shocking statement, but isn't it true that most people, when asked to define the gospel, actually speak only of what Jesus did, the fact that he died and rose again, rather than the fact that he preached for three and a half years before he died? What then was the point of all that preaching, preaching the gospel indeed, if it does not have a significant place to play in our own salvation? Jesus himself obviously believed that his words and his preaching were a major part of the salvation offer that he brought to us. You see, he came to seek and to save the lost, not only by dying, but by preaching. The gospel, according to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, began to be preached by the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the fountainhead of true gospel preaching. And once we establish that basic fact, it becomes obvious that it's the gospel concerning the kingdom of God, which is the saving message of Jesus. So important was this to Jesus that he spoke of the devil's activity as having a particular direction and purpose. In Luke 8, verse 12, Jesus said this, When anyone hears the message, and it's the message about the kingdom, if you will compare the parallel passage in Matthew 13:19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom or the gospel of the kingdom, the devil comes and tries to snatch away what is sown in his heart so that he may not believe it and be saved. Those are the extraordinary words of Jesus in Luke 8, verse 12. In that passage, Jesus was telling us how salvation works, how the gospel works, what happens to the gospel as it finds reception or lack of reception in different types of people. Jesus' audience was typical of audiences at all times. There were some who were keenly interested and remained permanently interested and interested for a lifetime in the Christian faith. There were others who indulged in a frenzy of activity when they first heard the good news of the kingdom, but other things came into their life which eventually took over their interest in the kingdom and they wound up not being Christians at all. Others again were overcome by worries and trials and tribulations of various sorts and they were unable to bear any fruit. But there was a category, Jesus said, who bore fruit, thirtyfold, a hundredfold, or sixtyfold, in varying degrees, and those were the ones alone whom Jesus regarded as successful Christians because they survived to the end of the race. It's a very commonly held idea in some circles that Christianity is like a race that's won when the gun goes off at the beginning. Now, that is not a fair representation of the Bible at all. You don't win a race at the starting gun. You win a race when you get to the tape at the end of the race. The gold medal is conferred upon those who end the race, not upon those who begin it. And it's exactly the same in the Christian faith. 
Christianity is likened a number of times to a race or to progress towards a goal. Many start off well. They believe for a while, Jesus said in Luke 8 verse 13, they are Christians for a while, temporary Christians, but they don't succeed because they don't persist to the end. In Luke 8 12, Jesus tracked down the major problem with failure in the Christian life. And he traces that failure to what happens when the essential saving message of the gospel of the kingdom reaches the ears of a potential believer. The devil is there, Jesus said in Luke eight twelve, to snatch away that message about the kingdom so that a person may not believe it and be saved. You see, Jesus is very much more specific about the information that must be conveyed to a potential believer than often we are today. A typical model of evangelism today invites you to accept the Lord in your heart and to believe that you're forgiven and that you'll go to heaven. Now, much of that language is strangely unlike the Bible. Jesus did not invite anybody to heaven. He invited them to the kingdom of God on the earth in the future. He promised the meek that they would inherit the earth. Matthew 5, verse 5. No one in the Bible ever said, What do I do to go to heaven? Nobody in the Bible ever promised heaven as the reward of the faithful. Such a thing would have been quite foreign to the biblical context. The language of Jesus is always directed towards the future kingdom of God on the earth, and that's the objective to which Jesus urges the believers to strive and struggle. Christianity is a hard race. It's a narrow way. Few find the way to life, Jesus said. A minority of believers are successful. Many will say in that day, weren't we Christians? I'm paraphrasing now from Matthew 7, verses 21 onwards. Were we not preachers of your word, people will say? Did we not even do miracles as Christians and cast out demons as Christians? Only to find, in an experience of shattering disappointment, that they were never recognized by Jesus himself. You'll find those words in Matthew 7, verses 21 and following, where Jesus introduced this extraordinary part of his discourse by saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. In other words, be saved. But haven't we heard from Paul that it's sufficient to confess the Lord Jesus? Isn't that sufficient for salvation? It's a very dangerous thing to pit one verse against another. It's important to remember that Jesus spoke before Paul. Paul is not the inventor of Christianity. Paul did not contradict Jesus. First we must decide what Jesus said. And he said plainly in Matthew 7, 21 and following, Not everyone who says to me, to Jesus, that is, Lord, Lord, will be saved, will enter the kingdom. No, it takes more than saying, Lord, Lord. It's only those, as Jesus went on to say, who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what does it mean to do the will of the Father? Well, Jesus went on to speak of his sayings, his teachings, as being the essential ingredient in the salvation process. It is only those who base their lives solidly on the practice of the words of Jesus, his gospel preaching of the kingdom, his ethics, that's to say, his demands for Christian behavior, and his whole involvement with God's plan, only these will turn out to be successful 
and be permitted to enter the kingdom of God and inherit the earth when Jesus returns. These words of Jesus in Matthew 7 are some of the most solemn utterances he ever gave to the public, and we tell our students at Atlanta Bible College to take heed to these solemn words of Jesus as he warned along the following lines, Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter, he said, by the narrow gate. That's to say, try to enter the kingdom of God in the future by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to ruin or destruction, and many are those who enter by that broad way that leads to destruction. Verse 14 of Matthew 7, The gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, that's to say the life of the age to come, to immortality to be gained in the kingdom. The way to that life and to living forever is narrow, and few are those who find it. Few, in other words, achieve salvation. Jesus then went on to explain why this would be so. Beware of the false prophets, the false preachers and teachers, he said, who come to you in sheep's clothing. They appear to be genuine. They appear to be really Christian. They sound like Christians. And yet, as Jesus warned in these extraordinary words of his in Matthew 7, inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Let's think about this issue of bearing fruit for a moment. In Matthew 13, Jesus gave us clear evidence for the basis on which fruit can be born. Fruit, you know, is born of seed. And in order to bear good fruit, one must have good seed. It would be interesting then for us to examine what kind of seed must be sown in our hearts if we're going to produce that fruit which is necessary for us to have a successful entrance into the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. Well, here's what Jesus said about bearing fruit. In the parable of the sower, he said that the seed is the word about the kingdom of God. Luke 8:12 and Matthew 13, verse 19. When anyone hears that message or gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said in Matthew 13:19, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown. There's the seed, that seed which is sown in his heart. And this is the one who has been sown beside the road. You see, the critical issue here is the reception of that seed. And that seed is defined very clearly for us by Jesus in Matthew 13:19 as the seed which is the gospel or message about the kingdom. Jesus went on to say that there are some who are sown like seed on a rocky place, and these are the people who hear the word, he said in verse 20 of Matthew 13, these are the people who hear the word, the word of the kingdom, and immediately receive it with joy. Yet they have no firm root in themselves, but they are only temporary. As Luke's version in Luke 8:13 says, they are Christians for a while, they are believers for a while only, but when affliction or persecution arises because of their faith, because of the word, the word of the kingdom, the essential Christian message, because of that, they fall away immediately. In verse 22, Jesus said, the one in whom seed was sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word of the kingdom, 
But the worry of this age and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. There's the word we're looking for, unfruitful. The essential thing Jesus had said in Matthew 7 is that we must bear fruit. We must examine the fruit of others to see whether it's genuine fruit or fake fruit. This is the way we are to avoid false teaching and this is the way we can ensure a safe passage into the kingdom and salvation. The one then Jesus said in Matthew 13:23, on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word, the word of the kingdom, and understands it, and who indeed bears fruit and brings forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. You see, the whole point therefore, Jesus is that a grasp of the kingdom of God, an understanding of the gospel of the kingdom, is the essential seed, the essential germ of new life, the spark of new energizing life, which will eventually result in immortality and entrance into the kingdom of God. But everything depends on that seed being the correct seed. Fruit-bearing, in other words, is a result of receiving the right seed. And that right seed is clearly defined for us as the word or gospel as it proceeded from the lips of Jesus. The important fact to realize in all Bible study is that the gospel is both the actual message on the lips of Jesus, which was continued in the ministry of the apostles, and it's also the story of the facts about Jesus and his death and resurrection. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to request a free book on the kingdom, a tape of the message you've been listening to, and other free literature on the gospel. Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.